And now it's time for the Jambalaya with the Kingfish. Welcome to the premiere, the first, the opening, the inaugural edition of the Jambalaya with the Kingfish podcast. Yes, we are starting something new on the website. We are going to be doing a weekly podcast. And in the house with us tonight, we have none other than the former Jackson City Councilman, former Marine, yes, Jarhead, and current state representative Dekeither Stamps. Hey, How you doing? For How you doing? Me. Thank yeah, you. I appreciate the invitation. You are the first. You are the inaugural. <laughs> the guinea pig. We've gone totally ebony and ivory. <laughs> Army and Marines. Do you know how to you turn a marine into a pancake? How? Throw sand on the wall, tell them to hit the beach. <laughs> I like them when they use it. You know, uh, I was in the Army too now. I thought you were just Marines. No, I was in the Army too. I was in the 82nd Airborne Division. That's right. And I went to jump school too. Mm, I didn't go to jump school. How were you in the 82nd didn't go to jump school? Because two weeks after I got there, we deployed to Iraq. So I didn't get a chance to go to jump school. I, did you ever catch any grief over that? No. Nah, nah, we Because right it used there. to be if you were a leg in an airborne unit, you caught hell. But guess who they made the patrol leader of, of the 17-man patrol? Me. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not like you're going to jump into the desert. It'd be all right. Although I have seen people, I'm sure people I know who have jumped into trees would probably prefer jumping into the desert. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I actually had a parachute accident once. Wow. On the drop zone, seriously. Um, we were doing a jump, and there was this like three-foot, four-foot high fence post. We were completely covered by brush. Mm-hmm. Completely covered. Land, do my PLF, which you wouldn't know anything about, but that's okay. Do my PLF, roll, all of a sudden, thud. <laughs> side of my helmet. Did you hurt the ground? No, not that I know of. Not that I know of. Unlike we had back in the 90s, had one of our officers actually, he actually, the guy that tried to skydive off the LBT tower. I don't know if you, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was um, lieutenant. Uh, yeah, he was a butter bar. And he jumped off. He took some girls out there one night and they took a camcorder. And so he thought he'd been taking like, not you know, parachute lessons, civilian parachute, you know, like Gold Coast down there. Mm-hmm. And so he goes up there. And first of all, he used the wrong chute. He had a low alt. He, he was using a high altitude chute because, you know, the low altitude just like base jumpers. It just spreads out real quick. Mm-hmm. Those nice big old rectangular chutes, that's what you use. He used that version where you have a little bitty chute pops out and then the moment then momentum, momentum takes yeah the takes the rest of it out right. yeah well that's not that's what he used well you know liquid courage changes your mind your thought process goes off i don't know anyway he was Gets a good guy for the one you got some women out there want to show off he was a good guy and but he just made the mistake and so he gets up there and they could i think they have an elevator on that tower to work and he could not get it to work so he gets the bright idea to just suit up you know put his harness and everything on and climb up there and the problem is, is that when, after a while, one, it's at dark. Mm-hmm. Number two is, you know, from rucking, that back, now that weight on your back starts getting heavy after a while. And you get up a couple of hundred feet, and but I'm sure it was getting real heavy. So he gets far up, and he looks down and thinks that's a good enough spot. I'm up far enough. All yeah. the way. Small shoot deploys. You know, the main shoot doesn't. Supposedly on the video, there was a second where he realizes, you know, and then when he gets down, you could actually, it may still be there, but you could actually 
seeing the ground where he at, the impact was. No lie. That's a shame. I mean, it was, yeah. That's <laughs> a shame. I mean, it happens, you know. One little detail when you do that, one little detail. But I did not know you were in the 82nd. And then y'all also deployed to Iraq. How long were y'all there? 18 months. What exactly did, did y'all do there? I was the patrol leader of a 17-man full-vehicle patrol. We patrolled um, the space around Cobb Spiker and Tikrit, Iraq, mm -hmm. which is Saddam Hussein's hometown. Mm -hmm. Were y'all in the initial invasion or came afterwards? Afterwards. We were in the surge. Okay. In 2006, seven, and eight. Wow. I, I, honestly, a lot of this, I don't think we've ever talked about this before. Yeah, we before. just glossed we never, over the last time exactly, I was Exactly. Just... And you know it's not something that you want. A lot of people don't want to talk about on the air. Yeah, it, it, it was it was a special time, man. I mean, um, everybody who was in the surge, you know, you go there thinking you're gonna be there for eight nine months, then you get extended to a year, and then it becomes eighteen months. That's a long time to be in, in one battle space. What do you remember most about it over there? Um, well, the, the folks you're there with, those are mm -hmm. the ones that you remember the most. Mm -hmm. You know, the folks you were there with, folks who. Um, brothers and sisters who passed away, didn't come back. And to see what's going on in Afghanistan is just horrific. What do you think about that? Well, I think that um, some folks need to, need to resign. You know, there's a lot of, lot of brass in the military. Um, one guy um, that I knew of, I didn't know him directly, um, battalion commander, he, he stepped down at a shuler. Uh, I knew him back from um, School of Infantry. Years ago, you're talking about that lieutenant colonel that just, yeah, the one last that, week. Yeah, the you one knew that, him. Mm -hmm. What was he like? I mean, Alex, I didn't know him. Um, we just hung out once or twice, but I didn't know him you know, mm -hmm. in detail. But he was, you know, from what I know, folks I've talked to, he was a good guy. What was his rep? He didn't have a bad reputation. He didn't have one of those GI Joe reputations. He didn't have a bad reputation. What's interesting is that, you know, you have your UCMJ. Mm -hmm. And you have to follow it. And look, mm -hmm. when I was in the service, a lot of service members did not like Clinton. I mean, they really did not oh, like yeah, Clinton. Oh, yeah, riff. Yeah, riff. I mean, and that whole draft dodger thing. And that's why I get I laugh when, the, you know, some of the people who hate Trump, they'll say, you know, well, he dodged the draft. And I, I remember 25 years earlier, 20 years earlier, when you same people were, when it was Bill Clinton that was on the receiving end of this, y'all were doing your best to take up for him. What changed here? I don't know. You know, because Clinton did... That's he got deferments and stuff, so he just like Trump did, so he could avoid it. Mm -hmm. You know, when your when your ass is going to be on the line, guess what? It's amazing how many people, on doesn't matter, black, white, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat, they're going to try to get out of it. But you know, <laughs> I'm, that's why I'm honored to be part of what I consider mm -hmm. one of the greatest military generations because we volunteered, and uh, we're all volunteer force, and we sustained the longest war in a, in a long time. So. Um, I'm proud to be a part of it. My daughter, she's in the Air Force now. I got a son who just got out of the Navy. Mm -hmm. He did two deployments. So I'm just proud of our generation of volunteer force that's out there. But back to what you were, we were talking about, the lieutenant colonel that got, mm -hmm. just got, and he knew what he was doing. Oh, yeah. He knew what was going to come. I mean, so he just. But he he's just. He just the, said, fuck this. I'm, you know what? He's I'm just gonna, the face yeah. of a lot of frustration. There are a lot of pissed off people because I had friends like Chad Robichaud. Mm-hmm. Who partnered with Glenn to, with Glenn Beck, and they went and got thousands of people out of Afghanistan. Yeah, Chad just got back, and a lot of other retired military guys. Have went you talked to, to him? Yeah, went to Afghanistan, and they were getting folks out of it, and, they, and they're going back next week. You know, they're still getting folks out. 
even yeah. after America has stopped. What did he tell you? It's a bad situation. And you, you mean literally, imagine, and most folks in America didn't put it into context. Imagine if we were evacuating America and the only place to get out was LAX. That's the, that's the logistical problem you have, mountainous and bad terrain. It's just, a, it was just a bad situation that happened too fast and and it's just a dangerous situation now. Now all the paramilitary organizations, all of the uh, military contractors, and all the foreign countries, they're in a free-for-all right now buying up arms, buying helicopters, Humvees, tanks, weapons, all kinds of stuff. I mean, how much stuff is now going to be on the market? Oh, you seen that movie with um, that movie where the guy was selling the arms? What was his name? There's been several of those. No, but the one he was an arms dealer. Um, I forgot the name of the movie, but um, it's just that, just up and leaving uh, military equipment. It's a global free for all right now in Afghanistan. What else have they told you, or that you once well, you talk to? It's it's just a bad situation that um, that could have been handled differently if there was. Um, more of a plan put in place, a common sense plan. And for those folks who were in Afghanistan, who spent a lot of time there, a lot of those uh, special forces guys got relationships there, still have relations. People, one thing that the military seems to forget is that this is a new generation. We still communicate with people we were in the war with. It's not like Vietnam or these other previous wars. With social media and stuff like that, you can still communicate with people who you were connected with and it's not war. for lack of desire, it's just in the past, I mean, when South Vietnam fell, mm-hmm. there was no way you were getting a letter to anybody over there. Of you course. weren't getting a phone call to anybody over there. Of course. You know? But in today's military. Or, unless it's, say, like Germany, where we left bases behind, and mm-hmm. then that was a whole different ballgame, because we both know a lot of GIs who got German wives. Mm-hmm. Several of them. Several of them. And Japan, too. But it is what, you know, it is what it is. It's just been really... Back to the lieutenant colonel, because we keep on getting away from it. It's so easy to do. You have a natural tension between the guys that are out there in the field. And I used, when he was alive, I'd always read his columns. Colonel David Hackworth. Don't know if you're familiar with him or not. He was the most decorated soldier in Vietnam. I mean, this is one of those guys that lied to get him when he was like 16, you know. And he was controversial, but he, for years, he had a weekly column. And he referred to the political brass, and by that I mean in the, the officers in the military who they're not really worried about the troops or what's in the field. They're more worried about getting that promotion, getting, getting to Washington basically. And he called them either the perfume princes or the rimps, the rear echelon motherfuckers. Mm -hmm. And that's how he referred to them. And that's, you know, I've adopted that term too. There's some, some people around here I refer to as rimps for that very reason. You know, instead of being in the field with the troops, they make sure they before the troops, they make sure they're back at headquarters politicking with whoever. And they always have great plans on paper, great everything. But, they usually ate the fuck up when out there in the field. Almost you know? definitely. I mean, it's no, that, but it's no reason what, you can tell me that they don't have people who need to be stepping he, down. That's what he was worried about back then. Back in there, even, he died like I think in the early mid 2000s. That was even through all this, the war on terror, he was worried about that, how you had too many of those types who are now running the army and they were drumming out the people who really didn't make things work. They actually saw them as a threat, which. The guy should have gotten, he, I mean, he knew what he was doing. He broke the rules. He can't do that. But then when you see this sergeant, female sergeant, last week, and I think you saw the video where she was saying, hey, if they tell us to, 
yeah, we're, and we declare martial law here. Yes, I'll shoot you. I mean, we'll do this and that, blah, blah. I mean, and you look in her eyes. I mean, she was. Have you seen it? Hmm. Oh, man. I'll, I'll take it out once we leave. I'll pull it, I'll pull it up, up here. Um, in fact, let me pause it for a second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. Hang on. Okay. Now you saw the video? Yeah. You see what I mean? Where that guy, he's taking it for his troops, guys that he's fought and died with, okay? Mm-hmm. She's sitting there, and you can see there's a little little glee in her voice. She's a little bit too enthusiastic. There, you can look at her expression. She's not upset about this at all. So just remember, we declare martial law here. I mean, we're deploying the U.S. military here in this country. If I tell you to do something, you know, I'm shooting you. You know, but we have a different— I mean, but nothing— We have a different warfighter today it, than we had in previous generations. But as far as I know, nothing's happening to her. Maybe so. Maybe, maybe it will, yeah. but I haven't heard a thing about it. Do you see where I'm going with this? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a big problem here. but And I'm not surprised these soldiers because, and the other thing, thing too is, you even look at World War I. Mm-hmm. When you, you know, you in Vietnam was getting to that point. When you let a war go on long enough and you start backstabbing the troops, look at how many mutinies on both sides they were having in, in World War I. Yeah, because you got, you got two generations mm-hmm. in the same war. When you have wars going on long enough, you get in situations like me. You got a dad yeah. and then a son. And then my daughter didn't deploy uh, to this war, but my son did. So you got multiple generations in the same war, which has a different dynamic to it as well. But do you ever wonder, and you just said it, my daughter is going to deploy over there. But do you think, all right, this has gone on long enough? Oh, most definitely. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with the fact that we should have brought the war to a close. But how you do it, you don't. They're going to be using that equipment for a hundred years against us. Against us. Well, they're going to take over the countries around them first. They're going to take over the areas and countries that are connected to them, and they're going to use the cash that they get from selling their arms. Um, oh, to, you know, to, Iran is bringing the briefcases. Oh, most definitely. This is this is a global and the Chinese or anything that's got software in it. The Chinese are going to be getting their hands on. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a it's global, what they do. It's a global flea market going on right now of, of arms, and it's, it's it could have been handled differently. Well, yeah, I mean, American people. I mean, twenty years. Where are we here? But you know, but I also didn't know that we hadn't had a casualty in a year and a half. Right. If we had say had. A thousand or so, two thousand troops just stationed on a base like we used to do in Germany, you know. And it's the Afghans. We're just supporting them and giving them air support. I mean, and, and that's I'm, what was there. I'm kind of more at ease with that. But we were supposed to go in there, whole scale invasion, you know, the whole nine yards. Peggy Noonan, she was Reagan's speechwriter, and she has a regular column in the Wall Street Journal, and she made a good point two weekends ago. She went back to the Battle of a, of a, I think a Tora Bora. And she went through, I ought to read it to you, I read it on the air last week. And she said, pointed out how we had Bin Laden surrounded over, up there. We were bombing the heck out of it. We knew he was there. Bin Laden later admitted he was there. And, you know, he was actually written out his last will and testament because he knew he was, this was it. You know, but we did not want to, she points out, we did not want to put the troops in our bush and Bush and Cheney did not want to put the troops in there because they were more worried about how this would maybe anger the Afghan people. And her point was, no, they all understood we got attacked and we got bombed. So when we came over there, got the bad guys, did what we had to do, then we left. And they say, this is what happens if you mess with us like this, you know. And But they were starting, while they were focusing on, doing, on getting him, 
Also, here came down the orders, prepare for to invade Iraq. And so Franks all of a sudden is worrying about that. And there's some animosity between Madison and Franks. Always been. Always has been. And this, this has just been. really poured the fuel yeah, on but it. They, you know, but, but Mad Dog was just, he, he is who he is, and he's mm-hmm. always been that way. It's not, it's a bad thing. It's a, it's a necessary yeah. thing. He, he, Hell of a leader. He has always been the type of Marine that's necessary for the culture at the tip of the spear. He mm-hmm. doesn't mush too well with the rest of the spear at all. But, when but that spear doesn't have the funding the other the other exactly. parts of the spear do. They're usually outnumbered. They're outmanned. Exactly. I mean, they have you, to make do with less, and that means you have to be twice as mean. and Exactly. Uh, like, I hate to quote Heartbreak Ridge, but adapt, overcome, improvise. Right. Because that really wasn't a funny movie in some way. <laughs> but, you know, but, I mean, but they, what I can say is that we have produced – a battle-ready military, and now you got some folks who are accustomed. I got some. I got friends with sixteen deployments. Wow. Okay. You got some folks who have, who are not going to mesh well in, in civilian life. They need to stay in the military, and they need a water fight. You I'm, got some. You got a lot of people out there who are, are pissed off with this Afghanistan situation, and and it's not even. A, they're pissed off. Uh, we're pissed off at the whole machine, Republican, Democrat, all mm-hmm. the whole Washington D.C. machine, and there's a separation that's going to take place between the folks who are pissed off and the folks who are covering their ass. Well, I know exactly what you mean. Back in the early 2000s, and this is going to sound minor, but I think you know where I'm going with this. You know, like for example, the 2000 election. Here come the Democrats, without getting the party stuff, but in, in Florida, they either tried to or got all the military ballots thrown out, mm-hmm. you know, and that really pissed off a lot of people back then. But then I remember Bush saying, you know, don't worry, I'm coming in there to save you. And like one thing, for example, that really, this is going to sound really minor, but really pissed off a lot of, especially the Rangers mm-hmm. was when it was when Clinton took away their black berets and gave them to the whole darn army. Mm-hmm. And that really, and if you're listening to this folks, you have no idea how mad that made the Rangers. Well, identity. The military is built and off they, identity. And they just came in there just for whatever reason and said, we're going to make everybody wear your beret. And they always tell about, and they eventually, I think, went to the sand-colored beret. Yeah. And those berets, are you have to understand the military culture, you've earned those. I mean, when I got mm-hmm. out of jump school and got that beret, I mean, look, you know, you're you're proud of it and because you earned it. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of my instructors, when I was in AIT, had said to me, graduation day, hey, you knew, you know you can wear your beret. You know, it's not really technically illegal. I said, no, 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 because he'd been in fifth group. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, third group, which, whichever one was it, was up in the northeast. And so I said, no, third group. Third, that's right, third. And so I said, no, sir, I'd, I'd rather earn it. You know, I haven't earned it, so I'm not didn't fall for that trap. But Bush makes all this noise, and he comes in there and didn't change a thing about any of that. You know, and, ah, okay. And you would see this, like, over in Iraq. And, I mean, we're seeing there all the time. You know, there is an insurgency over there. And now we have a lot more information about it. And Rumsfeld's getting on TV every day saying, hey, look, you know, y'all are just complaining, whining. That's not the case. You know, but it's just a lot of, you know, a lot of misinformation from the top and a lot of frustration from the bottom because, you know, those folks who were in Afghanistan know that they spent a lot of time guarding poppy fields. They spent a lot of time guarding mm-hmm. mining operations because China has a mining contract out there. 
And so we're guarding Chinese minings and and, and, and and when the big pharma organizations realize they don't need as many poppy fields anymore, mysteriously the war goes out because big pharma's now focus on selling vaccines and COVID and all this other kind of stuff. So, Well, we need the vaccines, though. Well, we do. <laughs> well, what I'm, what I'm saying is that the interest, you start seeing the interest shift on the ground. And then, miraculously, the political portion of it shifts right behind those interests. Wow. <laughs> well, I understand why the troops are mad. I understand why the people... American mm-hmm. public wants to get out of there, but you're right. There is, you know, there's a right and wrong way to do this. And giving up all this hardware, I mean, heck, I mean, we could have at least destroyed it all first. I mean, hey, we could have given or, it to the Mississippi, withdrawn we, it. We could have given it to the Mississippi National Guard. <laughs> Don't bring that up because then I'm going to have the Jackson haters say we could have given that to the JPD or to the Jackson or I mean or to the Guard here to use in Jackson. Blah blah they're, blah. There are lower level units. <laughs> yes. That could use this equipment. Absolutely. And it would be game changes as far as their effectiveness for deployability. I mean, helicopters. Future, all of it. I mean, helicopters. I you, mean, seeing them fly the, our own helicopters. The normal and hanging folks from helicopters. Yes. You know, so the, the normal disposition of property goes from active duty to reserve units, and it could have been budget savers for years. And, you know, it didn't happen. No. And this is why people refer to them as perfume princes and reps. I mean, because this is what happens, and it's the guys in the field. Also, something else makes me go both ways on this, which is we have a whole generation of kids over there that grew up under uh, our leadership, mm-hmm. control, whatever you want to call it, but they're used to free speech. They're used to going to school. They're used to living in a modern civil in a modern or semi-modern civilization. You know, they don't know any other way. And here comes the Taliban saying, hey, look. I mean, you see what they're doing. I mean, I saw one today where some poor, some pregnant mother, they just murdered her, knifed her in front of her own kids. I mean, they're doing this in village after village, or they're just going out there. I mean, it's kind of what the, you know, the Viet Cong did. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, we can argue which one was more savage, but that's the sort of thing that happened over, you know, when South Vietnam fell. I mean, if or in, over in Cambodia, if you were educated, if you were a teacher here, they came for you. I mean, mine is a horrible thing to waste but mine also sometimes can be a target you know they don't want those types and so now you have this whole i would i would say civilized class of people there who are now on the run they now fearing for their lives and i think part of me thinks we have somewhat of a duty to them well you see what i mean here's a national security threat though because let's say we were coming to your hometown and, and taking people out who were loyal to us and so forth. Mm-hmm. And let's say we're only going to take law-abiding citizens, but you got a cousin over there, and right here in Jackson, and where you stay, but you got a cousin who you know is a little wayward. Will you leave him here? Well, it's the same predicament you're putting folks in Afghanistan. Yeah. We're basically going to be importing Taliban to America, feeding them and educating them and giving them health care, and they're going to be basically sleeper cells for a few years and still communicate because soldiers today still communicate with folks they were in the war with absolutely in Afghanistan and Iraq. I still got friends on my Facebook page yeah. who, who, who I was in relationship with when I was overseas. And so this generation now, all they do is social media. Mm-hmm. So that's how they're still communicating with folks and you, you, your orders are coming one way, but then you can go on your Instagram 
mm-hmm. <laughs> and you and you can see the whole a whole different story. So that's why you have this dissension inside the ranks because you got soldiers and Marines and Air Force folks who got relationships that are conflicting information with what's going on in in, in the media. And plus, I mean, y'all do talk to each other. So when you see some, not just press secretary for whoever, but mm-hmm. also say they're little friendly allies in the media, they're little hacks, mm-hmm. get on Fox and MSNBC and all those little not, shows at night saying one thing and you're thinking, okay, that's not what's going on over there. I mean, because you're talking directly to the people over there. Mm-hmm. Or when you see the former military people who are getting nice fat checks to appear on TV at night. Right. But they usually have their own little agenda or narrative to push. And so, you know, you see that crap and you're just... One thing that really pissed me off was a few weeks ago, you had those two congressmen, both opposite parties, mm-hmm. both veterans. Mm-hmm. And this is how bad things have gotten. They didn't trust... They couldn't trust the information they were getting from the leadership. That's period. Right. They couldn't trust it. So what they do? They got on a flight, went over there, did not take up any spaces reserved for regular folk. I mean, you know, whatever soldiers coming back at refugees, whatever. And they get over there, and they went and did their own fact finding mission, and they flew back over here. And I mean, they caught hell. I mean, Nancy Pelosi raced like, "Fuck you, bitch! I'm sorry." You know, that's one of the problems is. Our leadership gets so much filtered information. They don't really exactly. know what's going on. That's why they got over there. And that was one thing, by the way, that caused the surge, was if you read Thomas Ricks's book, Fiasco, and have you ever, have you ever read that one? Hmm. I have to let you borrow it. It's, it's a good one. He was a reporter for the Washington Post. And, I mean, you had the insurgency in full swing. And we were just looking like idiots there on the TV. I mean, Rumsfeld's getting up there and saying, oh, he's spewing his line, which nobody believes. And you're seeing all these battles over there, what's going on on TV and stuff. And they had this meeting in the White House, and Rice is there, Bush is there. It's all the, all the head honchos. And you had this, I think, colonel was given a briefing. And this was a colonel who spoke Arabic, I think he had a degree in Arabic studies. I mean, this was a guy who had served over there. Didn't He had the ap- academic side of it down, and he also had the field side of it down, you know. Mm-hmm. And he finally, he just said, gave him a realistic appraisal of what was going on over there. In other words, he was, for once, Bush was getting information from the field that was bypassing. It was unfiltered. Exactly. Rumsfeld, all the perfume princes, all the bureaucracy. You know, like the guy said in Ford, Ford and Ferrari, you know, um, you know, that report, 15 people saw it before you saw it. You know, if you've seen that movie, have you? Hmm. You need to. You'll love it. Anyway, um, so Bush starts asking, why am I hearing this for the first time? You know, he's going, what's going on here? And Condoleezza Rice is, uh, 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 you know, none, you know, none of the smart people had an answer for this. Right. And so that's kind of what led to the surge was Bush made a point to start getting more dr- reports directly from the field, he says, I want to know what the heck's going on out there because what I'm being told, this ain't it. Most, you it, know, it never, and it, that's eventually what led to the surge because when they realized... That, I, that, I, that I've worked mm-hmm. with has is because they live in a bubble. Everything that comes in the bubble is filtered information to give them um, a desired outcome or lean them towards a certain direction. I think that's what Biden is getting right now. Well, all of them. Every president that gets elected. And mm-hmm. my first one that I worked directly with was at the 
was um, was Clinton and then also um, Bush. They had the same frustration. They had the same issue. When they got on Marine One, they could have a conversation that they couldn't have anywhere else in the whole daggum because there's no cameras, no press on Marine One, and they had access to more information than what they would get in their press briefings. Mm-hmm. And um, and they could, you know, it's just a bad situation to be in, especially when you're going to make decisions as big as a president. Yeah, Trump had the same problem. Obama had the same problem. Is that you are geared, you're going to get steered by the brass to do what the Pentagon wants to do. It's not hard to do. No, not at all. Not if you control it. And then also, you know, one of the biggest factors, I learned this when I was, over, when I was in Africa, is that the, the foreign intelligence community, in conjunction with the Pentagon, steers the daggum information. You know, you're the president. You're just getting reports. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's far from what the truth is. I mean, I don't think that's that's been the case for a long time. Long you know, time, long one time. thing about Reagan was that was nice was he had a policy was if I t- if I give you an order, tell you to do something, I expect it to be done. Period. Mm-hmm. You didn't see people crossing that, but he's also said, I also want to hear the other sides of this. You know, so when they would have discussions, you would hear every point of view. Like Baker and Weinberger would disagreed a lot. I mean, you would hear of like mm-hmm. Bush would disagree with them, but that's what Reagan wanted was all of it. The really secure leaders don't mind that. The ones that hey, I've got my own narrative in my head. You know, I don't want to hear that. You know, blah blah blah. I don't want to be disagreed with. And they'll like when Clinton was president, Les Aspen was that disagreed with them somewhat. Mm-hmm. And his Clinton, the Clintonites would be like, why is he disagreeing with this? I mean, what's wrong with him? Is he on our team? You can't think that way. What has to happen is we need more veterans to run for office. And I don't give a shit if you're Democrat or Republican. I don't give a shit if you run against me. Mm-hmm. But we need more veterans in office at, at local government, at state government, so that we can push forward national leaders in the Senate and in the House. That's how you steer it. But we don't have, we don't have this generation. The only, thing that I could, the only critique I got of our generation is not enough of us in public office. After, after the American Revolution, um, we elected general president, and there was a, a shitload of mayors and council people and all kinds of folks who built the political framework for America to all veterans. Mm-hmm. Same thing after the Civil War. Union and Confederate veterans rebuilt the daggum country, World War II, Vietnam. And so if I would say one thing that our generation needs to do, more of us need to get in public service at every level so that in 10 years we'll have – some folks who have the political clout to climb the mountain to go to D.C. so that we can move the country forward. Or say, hey, look, you know, when you start falling behind on stuff, like I was sad that we canceled the F-22, for example, True. you know, hell of mm-hmm. a fighter. And some leaders that understand, hey, look, yes, they're asking for a lot. They're asking for a lot of money. But here's why we actually need this. Now, I know how the Pentagon and all them like to play their procurement games and all that. And that's where I think um, Rumsfeld was really good at was he actually reined in all that crap. Well, you know, and that was his he, re- he that was, was his good reputation. from a standpoint of um, you go to war with the army you got. Yeah. Mindset. Yeah. And we build it, uh, build the machine while we, while we drive. While we drive mm-hmm. it. And how long were you over there in Iraq? 18 months. 18 months. And then after that, where'd you go? Um, I got hurt mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the deployment. And I came back and I went to Rucker and I had a medical retirement at, in Rucker. I thought you were an embassy guard at one point. That was before. That was in the Marine Corps. Okay. So I did 
seven years, seven and a half years in the Marine Corps, got out for two years. Iraq started. All my buddies were going to Iraq. I went back to sign back up, and the Marine Corps was taking too long to process my my paperwork. Mm-hmm. Armor recruiter says, hey. So I went to the um, Army recruiter, and the Army recruiter, my microphone, my headphone didn't work. There we go. So I went to the um, Army recruiter, and the Army recruiter was like, hey, man, what's your record? You can go anywhere you want to go. Heck, two and a half weeks later, I find myself in the 82nd Airborne Division. And about, and about two weeks after that, I was deployed for the first time. Yeah, but what was it like being an embassy guard? Because usually when we hear about the embassy guards is when we see an Iranian mob trying to take over. Mm-hmm. You know, and then That was the best duty of all. Of, of really? Why is, why is everything. that? I went to the best embassy in the world, Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, right after the bombing. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I loved it. I, that was one of the best places I've ever lived. Um, I lived there for a year and a half, almost two years. What was it like? Well, we were, re- we were rebuilding the embassy because they had blown the embassy up. And so we were in the DCM's house, you know, and so um, we went through the rebuilding process uh, and got into a temporary embassy. But the people were just so good. And it was my first time in, in true foreign service. You know, I, you know, you, your uniform regulations get laxed out there. Um, you sure, you want to broadcast that? Well, that's that's everybody knows this. this okay, is, this is common knowledge throughout the Marine Corps. I mean, um, because you have to fit in. You can't just walk around looking like a jarhead. No. You know? So after after eighteen months, I I didn't even speak English that much. You know, so it was a real good experience for me. I learned a lot um, working with all the different foreign agencies and. and it was, it was a good experience for me. And you also went to Europe. Yep. From there, they said, hey, you've been in a hardship duty. Now I think I'm loving life. I'm on the Indian Ocean. I'm going I'm going all across Africa every week having a ball. And they're like, hey. We. Now, let's stay on that for a second. Because yeah. now, now I'm really curious because I didn't know this about you. I knew about the European duty, but I didn't know about this. So you're obviously a, can I say it, a black guy from America. Black single guy, 20. Two yeah. years old. So what was it like you being over there? See, this is what makes embassy duty so good. Uh-huh. Embassy duty is good because when you go to a place like Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, most of them, yeah. there's only eight Marines in the whole country. And you were one of them. See, when you go on a ship or something, you land. There are thousands of you. Yeah. But there's only eight of you. And you get a diplomatic passport. You get diplomatic immunity. And oh Lord, you are, you, you're just there. And you you fit into the culture, and you are part of the community, and it was a really good experience for me, really good. I mean, um, I went all over all over Africa. I spent a lot of time in in, uh, in Kenya mm-hmm. and in Nairobi at that embassy too. So it was a really good experience for me, and um, I learned a lot about myself. Learned a lot about such as well. It was the first time that I was always in special duty type units, mm-hmm. but this was the the first time that I was just, it's just eight of us. So you get mm-hmm. real close to the folks you work with because when the, when the shit is the fan, it's just you. <laughs> and like the, when they blew the embassy up, it took two and a half days. <laughs> and, um, you know, Cody and the rest of those guys, they was only five then. So you really, you know, lend your life into the other folks saying, you know, it'd be a long time for the carrier to get here. What was it like going over there? Somebody's going to get pissed off to ask you this question, but I mean, you're from here, yeah. minority. You go yeah. over there, majority, and it's all you. It's the first time I <laughs> ever all seen. You. I had never. You mean everybody from the president to the governor to the mayor to the I council? Mean, there's probably not even a minority over there. <laughs> well, no, there there are a huge number. 
of white really? Africans. I mean, well, they're, they're down in South Africa, all that, yeah. No, they're all over. Okay, there's not a country See, in I'm Africa. Lear- I'm learning that does not have a huge population of European Africans. Heck, when they come to America, they're called African Americans because they're Africans. They've yeah. been there for a hundred years, yeah. two hundred years. You know, so when they come to it's America, it's caused some interesting arguments, <laughs> right? When they come to America, they're African Americans. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna go down that road. One of my friends yeah. married one of them. I mean, um, it's 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 just a unique place, man. And um, I, I, I encourage everybody mm-hmm. if you guys, and you've been back there several times since. Yeah, you know, I go all the time just because of those relationships. Mm-hmm. And um, so they rewarded me when I left there. They said, hey, we're going to give you a reward. We're going to send you to the to, to Geneva. And I was oh, wow. like, so you telling me that I'm going, you're going to reward me by sending me to Geneva? I said, reward me by letting me stay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the most beautiful people in the world you ever going to see uh-huh. are in Ethiopia. Those little stories mm-hmm. they show you on TV with the little flies in the kids' nose. Yeah. I can show you some pictures. Most beautiful women on the planet are in Ethiopia. And um, so I took my reward, went to Geneva, uh, worked at the, at the U.S. mission there, which is attached to the United Nations. Mm-hmm. So I worked there for about a year. And then from there, I went to London. I worked there for about another year or so and came back. What was it like in Geneva? Oh, Geneva was awesome. Actually, Bin, Bin Laden's niece lived down the street from us. And she's coming to the Marine House and party because we threw the best Yeah, party. because... Not every member of his family agrees with what he does, and he has a no. really large family. He has fifty brothers. Yeah, and they're all billionaires. Must be nice. So imagine if you got fifty brothers and all of you are billionaires. You're not going to real anything, right? You know, so there these things it, it, that made me realize that what's going on in the world is so much at a higher level than learning this city. Mm-hmm. You know that these folks are operating in a global monopoly game. Mm-hmm. That's so far above the little arguments we have at the local level that um, that's really they really have to go through a lot of uh, propaganda to figure out how to articulate this stuff to the average person here in America. Oh, what was your impression of being around Europe? I enjoyed it. People were nice. Um, I, I had a good time in Europe. We we backpacked all over Europe. Actually, our um, our physical fitness test course started in France mm-hmm. and ended up in Geneva. Wow. You know, um, we used to go to go hiking and go uh, snowboarding and stuff. What about the museums? I didn't get to visit many of the mm-hmm. museums. I, I always try to do all of the um, local connectivity kind of stuff. If somebody's going backpacking, you know, you always hear, you always hear white kids talking about, hey, I'm going backpacking through Europe. Mm-hmm. Well, I said, well, hey, I got a backpack. And that's what they do over there. That's what they do. Well, you also got trains everywhere. You have metros. I mean, they'll just throw a backpack or a duffel bag together and just and go. And, just go. and it was and This was before iPhones. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you just go. And so I, I enjoyed the trains because we, we get on the train. We go to different countries. And it was just a good experience all the way around. I mean, one time I went down to the Bay Islands off of coast of Honduras and that's about the cheapest place in the western hemisphere to get scuba diver certified Hmm. and yeah and you can fly down to Roatan out of New Orleans and when you get down there you know the Americans you tell the Americans because they have a couple of suit two or three suitcases you know you see the Europeans and 
all they have are backpacks or just a big old duffel bag. That's it. Mm -hmm. And that's what they travel with, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, and they look at the Americans like, look at these extravagant Americans. They just throw everything together in one bag, boom, they're done. Gone. You know, we got to take the library. We got to take the den. We got to take, you know, three closets worth. I mean, it, it is what it is. Yeah. We were traveling one guy. He just had... You know, I had a backpack. Uh -huh. You know, it wasn't a big Alice pack, you know, but it was, did have, you know, yeah. survival stuff. He just had a little little messenger bag with a couple pair of underwear in it. And you <laughs> look at him, you're probably thinking, up. how? <laughs> right. By the way, would you like a drink? Oh, sure. While we're here? Sure. Yeah, that's right. You see, folks, this is my podcast, my rules. We can do what we want here. And you know what? We're going to have some Blanton's. Pause for the call so we can. A friend of mine uh, gave me that, for, gave it to me for my birthday last year. I mean, this is good stuff. You're going you're gonna to like this, but go on. you going to. Huh? No. Okay. Let's see what the kingfish got gonna, over We're going to fix this on the air. We're going to see what the kingfish got, got going on here. here. Oh, you got some fancy cups. Okay. Now, these are those Maker's Mark. You know, you get those boxes for mm -hmm. sets for Christmas, you know, and then you put the glasses somewhere because you, you're never going to use them. Now, you got to invite me back once you have a video. But the camera's going to be on you because I don't think anybody really wants to see me on camera. Trust me. Trust me. Yep. But I have enjoyed the, I have enjoyed your website over the years. And, um, well, thank you. We've tried. I'm sure I've pissed you off a couple of times. Hey, you know, it is what it is. This is part of the process. Well, and that's what's different than you, some others. I mean, some people, I mean, if you, I mean, if you criticize them, they take it personally. Oh, you know, that's, I mean, uh, and you've always been one. You can handle criticism. I mean, and I remember when you were on the city council, I mean, I criticized you then. I mean, but you would take, you know, but on the city council, you stood up for stuff, mm -hmm. you know, and I saw you do it this year, you know, and sometimes you were the only one. Man, when there they put go. that, when that transgender bill, it was. Oh I got, man, you caught, I, I, I caught hell behind that one. Well, and I understand. Yeah. Uh, how's that? That's good stuff. Is smooth. that smooth? Yeah. yeah. Smooth. That's smooth. And folks, by the time you hear this, it's going to be a week later. So good luck trying to catch us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, look from, you know, my but, you know, from our first stuff, one. You just got to peel the onion back, man. You can't really be partisan on this stuff. Well, look, obviously I hit the weights, okay? Yeah. Suppose there's a powerlifting meet coming up, female, and I decide, you know what? However we do it, I want to compete in it, okay? Is that fair? No. Hmm. You know, and I mean, I understand where one side is coming from. I really do, okay? And it's not about hating someone. It's not about trying to keep someone from doing something. But, you know, you do have these things, you know, bone structure, muscle differences in testosterone gives you certain advantages period then there's also cardiovascular i mean the men i mean they have a your male structure has a faster recovery rate start you know studying vo and all that stuff you know and so when you have you know you see these other states where all of a sudden you see someone who transgender identifies as a man as a woman or whatever but they're taken first in these in state competitions and all of a sudden the girls are going what the heck happened here you know and they're being told well you got to go along with this or else you're or else you're hateful 
you know, I mean, well, what about them? I mean, because it's really interesting because the feminist in that group has been in bed for a long time together, okay? Now, all of a sudden, they've pushed this, and the regular woman out there is just going, wait a second, I'm not so sure about this. And that's all you did say, hey, and you caught some hell for that. Oh, man, I got drugged for that one. Still, still do get drugged. <laughs> yeah, but six months later, who even talks about it? Well, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, people, you know, on the left, Mm-hmm. You know, had people's got to stop voting and stop taking positions just because of left or right or blue or red. Just what is right? Mm-hmm. What's the right thing to do? Exactly. And who wants their daughter wrestling with somebody who used to be a man and competing? I'm and not wrestling in high compete. school. I mean, no, I, I got a 13 year old right now who I'm working on her self confidence. Mm-hmm. And sports is how you help a little girl with their self-confidence. She's going through body changes and different things, and and I'm trying to use this to help build her own identity and all that. And when she turns to you and says, well, I can't compete with him. That's a big deal. So I quit. Why am I doing this, Dad? Why am I practicing? Why? I can't compete with him. And, um, you know, it, it's going all over the country. So, I mean, I just think that uh, on, on that situation, Nothing against folks who are fighting for different rights and things mm-hmm. like that. But on that issue, I agree with a guy that um, one of the foremost LGBT guys in the country. He was like, well, maybe the transgender just want to lose that battle to gain some other ground in some other areas because clearly this is not effective. Have you seen the that lady MMA? They call her Cyborg. She's been crushing these women in MMA. I mean, hurt them. And so... You know, even when it comes to the, the military stuff, you know, we're, we're asking right now on the military side, you're going to need a whole lot of ta- toxic masculinity to fix Afghanistan. Yeah. A whole lot of it. And if you kill all of your quote unquote toxic masculinity, who will you have to go do that? You're already seen it in the police. You're, <laughs> you're already seen it in the police. You know, so we got no, a long no, way to go. No, seriously, you look you look at this whole movement against the police over the last year. So I mean, look at how look at how many officers are getting out. Look at how the recruitment levels are dropping. Again. You know, they're being told they're the enemy here, and their whole culture is the enemy, and we don't want you. Right, you do not want a unpoliced and, civilization. You know, and I'll get it into it with some of these people. Some people you know mm-hmm. well, and they're they're like. There'll be some defund the police thing on Facebook or something. They'll like liking it or sharing it. And I'll just say, oh, really? Well, guess what? Everything you want, you're getting in Jackson. How do you like it? Because since Yarbor became mayor, the staffing level at JPD is a lot lower. A lot lower. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't get a straight answer out of them on public records requests about the rosters because they include reti- people who've been retired for six months, people who transferred out. I mean, they're doing everything they can not they love to hide information. That's just what they do. This culture Lumumba has, that's just what they do. And so you're sitting there trying. We used to have, when Vance was there, I think, over 300 patrolmen. Mm-hmm. And now the number I hear quoted is like 150, 175 or so, way under. Beats a lot of times. They're going like 50% staffed at night. You know, you're getting defund the police right now in Jackson. And look what's happened. Well, a lot of us in the community, we I got a little white Ford Ranger with a blinking light on top of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got shifts, and we're all heavily armed. 
Mm-hmm. We patrol the whole neighborhood. And what's the result been since y'all started doing that? We have a zero crime neighborhood. Wow. And I live in South Jackson. Yeah. My neighborhood, the neighborhood across from mine, the one down the street, all zero crime because we patrol that ourselves. And it's not so much being armed. It's just having a presence. They know somebody right. is watching them. You know? Somebody's watching. Somebody's calling stuff in. I mean, the most valuable thing, I guess y'all got dash cams too, right? We don't have Some a dash cam. Some of y'all do. But, um, I mean, I have my GoPro. I use it. Yeah. But, um, but everybody And that GoPro one. is more valuable than probably that firearm is. Oh, most definitely. You know? Just, you know, taking pictures. I got a high-powered flashlight, and I ride through. My time is from 10 to 2 in the morning, mm-hmm. and that's what I, it's my shift. And uh, we all trade out and um, until we get through this, because a lot of us, are just, we're not going anywhere. You know, we're, we're part of those Jacksonians who have been here. I got 452 family members living in Jackson. Wow. So it's personal to me. It ain't like yeah. I'm just, you know. <laughs> I got a whole bunch of folks in here. That this, this whole this this shit is personal, mm-hmm. and um, in my neighborhood, heck, my parents in the neighborhood, my sister is nine of us in my one neighborhood, in my family own houses, just in my little small four hundred house neighborhood. So um, we got a long way to go, but that's why I always call on this generation of veterans to get engaged, whether it be police public service, community organizations, service isn't over mm-hmm. once you get out. You got to, you know, dust your boots off and get back in the service because every stable neighborhood I know has veterans living in it. That was actually, I'm going to go totally dork on you, right. but there's a science fiction book. It was a movie called Starship Troopers, mm-hmm. and if you, I'm sure you saw the movie. That cartoon movie is nothing like the book, but that was – in the book, that was how the society worked then, was the only people who could vote were actually people who were veterans. And to become veterans, they actually had, I mean, they're, becoming a trooper in the book was tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had to do something. You weren't just going to sit back and You mean you, you weren't just Jean-Claude Van Damme? No, you weren't. <laughs> I mean, it was tough. But that was the whole thing was because they'd been through upheavals, they'd been through strife, civil war, everything, and, it, and they learned through trial and error, they said, was, how they justified it was the veterans were the only ones who had truly sacrificed so therefore for the greater good so therefore they had a real stake in mm-hmm. how things were run so if you actually you couldn't even vote unless you were one well look at american oh, yeah. history but basically it was more of an earned vote so people mm-hmm. were actually joining the military just, just so, so they, they could vote, vote. Exactly. Wow. exactly look at american history veterans take over Mm-hmm. Country stabilized, they die. Civilians take over. Mm-hmm. We all go all to hell, go to war, produce more veterans. Veterans come back and stabilize. We've oh, been yeah. going this up and down cycle from American Revolution to War of eighteen twelve, the Civil War, mm-hmm. to World War One. It's always been veterans come back, take over the political structure, and also get involved in the business culture. Stabilizes for our generation. That generation dies. Their kids. Backfield, we go to war and go to hell in the handbasket. Oh, yeah. We've been in a 35-year cycle. <laughs> you, you've been off the council for how long now? Since July the 1st. Okay, so a couple months now. Mm-hmm. Do you miss it? Be I, miss, I miss parts Be of it. But, you know, the state of Mississippi has just well, more problems than the city of Jackson has. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they it, it, it's a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm I'm excited about it. I'm really excited when I sit down and look at these problems. I'm excited about these problems because that's how you get your other problems is working through issues at the state. 
What are the biggest problems you see in Jackson? Well, from a city level or from a state level? City. Right now we're on the on the city. Yeah. Yeah, the biggest problem in Jackson is, is um, you don't have middle class. You the, really don't. You don't have middle class. Either you have or you don't. And uh, we have to safeguard now because a lot of the st- problems that we did have in Jackson came from Katrina. And now we got a whole new group. I disagree somewhat. Well, you you had a lot of folks after Katrina that came to Jackson. And they, they weren't really Jacksonians. They were just a lot of folks that were just here. They weren't counted here. Like my ward on the, on the council. Mm-hmm. The books say I had 27,713 people in my ward. But our estimates showed that we had over 35,000 people in my ward that weren't part of the census, weren't part of the numbers. But you look at the school numbers and you look at mm-hmm. the areas, there are a lot of people. It's a whole undercurrent in some of these areas. And it was a lot of it came from people who had moved here, a lot of transit folks. And middle class can stabilize some of these areas. But right now, even black folks, even black middle class in, in, in Jackson. You anymore. can go to the surrounding or the adjacent elementary schools in mm-hmm. Rankin, Madison, mm-hmm. Southern Hines County. And I say elementary schools because those really are geographic specific more than the high schools are. Right. And you can see the black populations there exploding. Most definitely. Clinton, you know, and it's because they're all getting out of Jackson and they want decent schools, period. You know, mm-hmm. and that's what they want. They're getting out. And I think one thing also is, and people don't really say this around here in Jackson, but when you lose your middle class, you know what that means? And I'm not knocking poor people. But you're going to have a lot more people in that class that are just, they're uneducated. And a lot of them are poor because of circumstances. Make no mistake. Mm-hmm. But you also have a lot of people who are poor because they make stupid choices. Let's be honest. And they're the ones who are going to be uneducated, ill-informed. And the kind of leadership they elect is going to be of a different caliber. And you're going to see a lot more rabble-rousing, a lot more demagoguery. A lot more just tell them what they want to hear, just trying to fire them up. You know, and, and we all know who does that around here. But that's what you're going to see. Someone who tries tries to come along and say has more of a business mind, for example, here's why this is not going to work because you can't because you can't afford this because you're doing this over here, blah, blah, blah. And they don't want to hear it. And then when it hits the fan, I mean, you can't get some, a lot of these people to understand why it's hitting the fan. I mean, do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Well, the, the the number one thing that that you know we need to have a lot, a lot of number one things, but yeah. one of the first things is get back public confidence and fight for jobs, fight for economy. Mm-hmm. And if you're not fighting for economy, you're you're, the, you're part of the problem. You have to build an economy here. You can do all the social programs you want, mm-hmm. but you have to fight for an economy, a real economy, um, and either build one. Um, or attract one, or do it all at the same time. But you, and there's no economy, so basically you have anarchy. Yeah. And so and your schools play right into now. That. We're fighting from an anarchy position because when you lose your middle class and you lose your economy, you have anarchy. And so now we need to fight from our reality and say, okay, we're in an anarchy situation, and now we got to fight back to a a more stable situation. And part of it's uh, some statewide stuff. Um, you know, Hines, Madison, and Rankin County, that tug-of-war and shell game that, that goes on between resources and different things, 
we're holding Mississippi back because Hines, Madison, Rankin County, if those three counties could work better together to build the economy and scale up, we could move Mississippi forward. Just like we go down to the coast. The coast is one coast. Look at that last MDA director who just left <laughs> since he became director, though. Look at how many projects all of a sudden start running up in North Mississippi where he is from. That's right. While we're all fighting each other here. Right. We're fighting each other, but other parts of the state yeah. are, are listening. Okay, we are the golden triangle. We may have some race issues. We may have some mm-hmm. political issues. But no matter what your issues are, you are the golden triangle. Right. No matter what your Democrat, Republican issues are, black, white, or whoever, we're one coast. Mm-hmm. Um, Hines, Madison, Rankin County have to move Mississippi forward. Mississippi does not move forward without those three but counties. But to do that, you have to straighten out the educational system here in Jackson because the main reason, one of the main reasons we got Continental Tire was because we had an A school system yeah. over in Clinton. If you, if Clinton was a C or a D, it wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened. Right. And Madison's getting stuff now because they have A school districts up there. Same thing with Rankin. We don't, and I try to get some of these people who are arguing, well, they, why do they put Continental in Jackson? Well, number one, you don't have a site in Jackson for it you'd have to take over some land and really clear out a lot of land because that was just a great site. Number two is there is no way you're going to have Continental put a plant here with, in the middle of JPS school district. It's just not going to happen. I mean, you're talking about at the time an F school district. That does not happen, period. And I mean, there and there's other areas we're deficient in too, but that's one of the main things they look at is the schools. And not to mention, and you, you're hitting on the statewide issue, this kind of plays into it which is you'll read about this company wants to move out of California. This p- company wants to move out the Northeast, their headquarters, you know, or a tech company, you know, and you realize it doesn't matter who's in charge. It could be the Democrats or Republicans. We honestly can't compete for them. We don't have the universities, the higher education system can, to compete for them. We don't have the workforce, skilled workforce you need. I think it was Haley was trying to get Hyundai here one time and we mm-hmm. could not compete. We just didn't have the workforce for it. And we have that problem. Look at us now. I mean, we're sitting there just straining just to get workers right now. Suppose we actually brought in real industries. Where are they going to come from? We're going to have to import them from somewhere. Other well, states of Mexico, but well, somewhere. Well, know? Ingalls has the same problem. Ingalls Shipyard mm-hmm. is going to Puerto Rico yeah. to bring in folks to pay them $25 an hour to build ships. So that's why I believe that we have to pick our heads out of some of our political or race fights and make sure that every job that Mississippi produces, we steamroll our young white kids, young black kids Mm -hmm. into those occupations. So these companies who are here aren't traveling all across the water to come employ folks. You know, so that's why I said we gotta change our narrative as elected officials from some of these national partisan type things and some of these other Mm -hmm. polarizing issues and say, okay, look at our assets, whether it be jobs and opportunities and resources, and basically push our young people into the opportunities that Mississippi has. Because if we don't, those same young people are gonna be degenerating wherever they are. So we need to fill every seat that is a career or a job in Mississippi with Mississippians. Mm-hmm. And so I think that some of our some of our political issues and some of these more flamboyant or you know, sensational issues kind of get the headwind versus Ingalls needs to hire 3,000 people in the next 18 months. So Hines, Madison, Rankin, whoever, 
would you rather your children be working on the coast or be moving somewhere else? I mean, we're about to get an Amazon center yeah. up in Madison County. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's going to be quite the boon they think it will because Amazon, they treat their workers like crap. I mean, just go Google online. There's a lot. And they'll hire quite a few people, obviously. But word's going to also get around about, do you want to go over here? Yes, they're paying you this, but do you want to get treated like this? You know, it's going to be yeah. it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting, but we have to, as leaders, mm-hmm. not just be so sensational. We'll focus on the – like one of my favorite folks that I work with in the legislature is, is Ronnie Crudup Jr. Because Ronnie's always just focused on let's help this person, let's do that, let's do this. He doesn't really get into the left or and right. His, and, and his dad tries to think out the box, too. I mean, who was his dad's best friend, Leland Speed? They were always right. working on – something together charter schools this development this project something together what can we work on what can we do and um but more of the leadership needs to focus on on this but they've also run out the business class a lot too and that's hurt a lot because not just middle class because you know alan thompson catches you know for the racial stuff he get the catches a lot of hell for it as he should but in some ways, he really was the best Mayor Jackson ever had because you realize the man sat there and built the reservoir and the airport. Heck, the airport, he did it for like only $125,000 back then. But what they would do is what Mr. Speed would tell me was he would see nowadays what the mayors do, like Chalkway. Every mayor does this. Chalkway's doing this. Yarber did this. Harvey, they get some so-called business advisory committee they'll bring in some businessmen do the dog and pony show meet with them periodically and to them it's just another interest group to meet with and then shut up we we included you now hush up you know whereas back then you would actually sit down with the head of mpnl you would sit down with the head of mississippi valley gas the basically your major companies here and you they would figure out okay we need to go after this business to try to industry to land bring them to jackson we had to build a reservoir because we didn't have enough water for the growing population. We were growing not just population, but businesses. We were doing mm-hmm. well until the integration problems all started in the, in the 70s. But anyway, but we would get these guys. These were the true titans of industry in Mississippi, and they would work together with the political leadership. And so when you would go negotiate, for example, when Musgrove was trying to get Nissan over here, I mean, the head of Mississippi Entergy went over there and, I think, negotiated with the Japanese with our team for us. You know, that's to, you see where I'm going with this? They right. created a real team, a real partnership, you know, not another interest group to listen to. You know, I it, mean, you would it, bring it, them into this, and that is almost non-existent. I mean, and when's the last time this current administration, you heard them bragging about landing a, I don't mean an auto zone or a fast food place or a gas station. I mean, actually landing a real business in the Jackson area. When's the last time you heard of it, period? Well, the and same it's like they don't even try sides. to compete. Yeah. You know, the same failures on both sides. You know, as a state and as a city, mm-hmm. we have to do a better job of building the core of this state and moving it forward because we're losing population. What's been the biggest change for you in the legislature coming from a city council? What's the biggest difference? It's not the same as people project it to be. People actually get along more than what the folks on the outside you know, seem it to look, make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been, I mean, I've been overjoyed with the amount of folks. If you just peel back the issue, just good down home folks from all over the state um, who will talk through an issue. It's not as contentious as 
it, you know, you have those contentious moments. Oh yeah, on specific issues, but the majority of the votes are pretty much either hell yes or hell no. Well, okay, you're in there as a Democrat. Mm-hmm. How do you function when y'all, when there is a supermajority of Republicans? That's got to be pretty daunting to go in there knowing that, hey, look, if they can hold the line, we can't do anything. Well, it depends on what they're holding the line to. Mm-hmm. I, I just focus on who's ever right. Right. On the issue. What's the big issues for you in the upcoming session? Upcoming session, we'll be dividing up money. You know, you got federal money coming down for mm-hmm. infrastructure. Um, redistricting is going to be a big issue. Always is. Um, you know, you're always dealing with the normal issues you do with every year. But What about medical marijuana? That's going to be a big one. Uh, not really. It's going to pass. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got huge bipartisan support. What do you think? Well, what do you think the bill's going to look like? Um, what are you hearing? I think it's going to be looking look like a free market system. Okay, explain that. Not a closed market where these select folks, I think it's going to be more free market mm-hmm. uh, or as close to a free market system as, as, as possible we can legislate. Um, I do believe that, I mean, I would support taxing it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think it's good it's not in the Constitution because you can amend it and, and make the operation better over the years. As years go by, you can mm-hmm. go over and you can tweak it and make it a, a more refined piece of legislation. Um, um, is there any, is there any move to um, fix the initiative referendum process, or is that yeah, kinda, yeah. or some legislators just you know some what? folks don't want some folks don't want to fix it. Um, but there, I think there's enough people out there who want to have a participatory process inside of government um, to get that done. What's the sentiment right now? Is it towards like it was originally or maybe change, modifying it to where much, much of your initiative referendum is going to be for, you know, legislation, not amendments? You see what I mean? Um, I haven't heard anything about that part of the mm-hmm. referendum process of changing that, but uh but I would say that um, I'll support something similar to what we had, but it'd be this is it. But medical marijuana is going through this year. Uh, medical, there's enough bipartisan support for medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can I can show you. There's enough folks. Have y'all even seen the bills yet or not? Um, there's been some, some drafts, some drafts yeah. floating around. That's what I've heard. Um, but. I believe that there's going to be enough um, support for medical marijuana mm-hmm. to um, to move it forward. That's okay. That's all right. But um, but I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to this session. Um, I hope we get a special session. Um, for what? I want to deal with these uh, with, with these COVID dollars. Mm-hmm. I want to also dice this up because you know you have a short period of time to move it on. We got several projects in Hines, Madison, Reagan County. That are good projects, such as, um, we talked about. We talked just a minute ago about the Byron, Byron Clinton corridor um, infrastructure. Problem needs. is, I think you've got a board of supervisors. The current makeup right now is kind of against that project. Well, um, I just think that I know Graham uh, and Archie are. Well, I just think that um, the Mississippi Department of Transportation can do a good job if they were given the funding and given the um, the point of the different projects that that institution can be really effective at executing mm-hmm. um, some transportation needs that we have in several of our corridors. Um, the Lakeland Drive corridor, uh, there's some upgrades need to be done there. Um, Every, everything that produces money and can produce money needs to be invested in so that we can grow those corridors um, long term. 
mm-hmm. especially the money on them. And there's some there's some things that Jackson and Flo would agree on, and that the delegations agree on down Lakeland Drive, such there's as. Some, well, it just I want to just talk in detail about them, but mm-hmm. there's some things that other areas agree well, what, on. What would be one example, though? I mean, just lighting. Let's take low-hanging fruit. Yeah. You know, lighting and aesthetics. Mm-hmm. You know, make it look like a real corridor. Make the make the, the entrance going to the airport look like you're going to the airport. You know, something that's marketable. Mm-hmm. You know, not just the airport is an exit off an exit to the airport um, and several other, several several things, infrastructure issues. How can we use this money for long-term benefit when it comes to putting in good infrastructure and, and getting another super site together that will benefit the jobs of the whole area? Just how can we use this money to make money long-term? Mm-hmm. We put this here together. We put this, this infrastructure in place, so we fix this infrastructure in this area, and now it's going to lead to more jobs for the next 100 years because this is really a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity from the federal government. And so what I'm looking at is projects that are that are reverberate for Are a there any time. specific ones that just stand out to you, projects that you've heard really before? I don't want to talk or? about specific okay. things, but, you know, I just want – those are the kinds of things I want to look at, stuff that's going to reverberate, not just some splash in the pan. What I, One thing I do want to focus on is building internal capacity for the cities, the counties – and the state government, not just taking money, flushing it out to contractors. When you say internal capacities, what do you mean? So that we can do more work. I want cities to be to be, rebuild their public works departments, you know, and not just have to contract everything out and spend three times as much. But which cities? Are, that's mainly just one city you're talking about, though. Jackson, no, I mean, are there but any others? Most, most of our cities don't have enough internal capacity. No matter what city you go to, right. they, they all need more internal capacity, right? Um, to be able, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a backhoe will save you a lot of money a long time. You know, and several other pieces of equipment. I want to have a a um, uh, more money in revolving loans and, and forgivable loans mm-hmm. to pay for equipment for these public works department can rebuild their armies, and then they can take their dollars and shift them towards some of their their um, their, their payroll line items so they can hire the people they need to main because really the cities are, are crumbling because of lack of uh, economy and lack of internal capacity to maintain what you have but some of it can be argued that some of those cities are that they put themselves there true they made I, bad I decisions and and I, people don't trust them so you do give them a big check and they don't trust them to make the well, right decisions. I don't, don't want to give them a big check I want to give them uh, forgivable know? loans to buy equipment to build I don't want to give you know, I want to be able to take the money so they can rebuild the internal capacities of their public works departments, not just flush the money okay. out and it's gone. You know, so a portion of it you do give to cities, but another portion of it you put it in ways for long-term sustainability for the mm-hmm. institution. What are some of the hot-button issues in the legislature that give you heartburn? Mm. I mean, I had a, I, I enjoyed this session. Um, mm-hmm. There was a proposal to raise the gas tax by two and a half cents yeah, to raise that. like a billion dollars and to give it to projects sprinkled all over the state. Mm-hmm. And I, that was one of the ones, even one of my good friends, I want to call his name out, but he he walked from across the, the floor over to my seat and was like, what do you think about it? He's a veteran too. And I, he's a white guy. And I was like, man, I don't know this. I mean, even though, 
a large chunk of this money is going to get deposited into my district. I still don't agree with the overall premise mm-hmm. of raising everybody's gas tax for this list of projects that doesn't really come to benefit everybody. Yeah. You know, so I had a, I had a fundamental tug of war. And that, and that item, it got on the docket, it came out of committee, and it was, mm-hmm. you know, uh, ready to be called up. And um, the powers that be decided they weren't going to have that fight today. And it didn't get on the floor. Are there going to be any fight? Excuse me. Are there going to be any fights over COVID in the upcoming session? What do you think? Uh, I mean, because this whole COVID fights, it's it's tearing us apart in this state to some degree. It really is. Well, you got folks who have been, you know, last session, last two sessions, you know, were hit by COVID. But now everybody has had personal family members to die. You know, when the, fir- the first session when it hit, Mm-hmm. And then it was just some things that people were getting sick of. But at this point, two well, years we had later. To cl- we had to close down one session because a, a, a lot of the House members got sick. And what right. was funny was a bunch of the ones that got sick were at Martin's like Friday before. And they were just had their mask off. They were all jammed in together at a big old table. And I mean, well, they, they were, were down at my hometown and learning. And I mean, they were down at learning, you know, have, having steak, you know. Dude, I walked in there one Saturday night. I think it was like May last year. Martin. Mm-hmm. April, I think May last year, a friend of mine and I did. We walk in there, and it's blowing and going like normal. They got those long tables just filled up to the max. There's like a 30-minute wait outside, you know. And we looked at each other and said, uh-uh. And because there's also very little ventilation there. And I love the place. Do not get me wrong, okay? Mm-hmm. I love the place. But we just said, uh-uh. It's not worth it. We're leaving. And I've read too many darn studies where it happened in places like that, you know? Well, I, um, I bought one of those... Uh Air purifiers, put it underneath my desk. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, and all of it. I just think that at this point, there are, there are enough leadership who not only have have either had COVID, but they've had enough family members and close friends to die of COVID that the tone is going to change. Do you think uh, Sheriff Vanstein changed the tone, or I mean, we both knew him and knew him well, mm-hmm. and. He dies, and then you find out he had the vaccine. And you know, I talked to him like three days before he passed away, and he was sounding better. And the week before, he was said he was getting better. He was looking forward to going back to work. And then all of a sudden, boom. Do you think that that actually? I think it hurt a little bit in that you're trying to tell people get the vaccine, get the vaccine, and here you have this high-profile person, everybody knows and loves and respects dies and he had one of the vaccines now j and j is not considered one of the best ones but it's still a vaccine and i think that actually hurts somewhat because now people are going what's the point yeah i i, I understand that sentiment um mm-hmm. but i will say that and i won't speak specifically on sheriff vance mm-hmm. but i will say that if you have underlying conditions that also leaves you less resilient anyway not just with COVID, just if your body gets hit with the flu and you have underlying conditions, heart disease, diabetes, gout, and different things, like, you know, it's going to be hard for you to get over some stuff. And so I just encourage everybody, you know, if you have especially diabetes and heart disease, if you have those issues, drop some weight, be more resilient, and take care of yourself um, because – uh, the virus, no matter how you choose to be resilient, whether you take the vaccine or not, 
you still got to take care of yourself and get yourself mm-hmm. together, whether you're vaccinated or not. Because the vaccine, I'm not going to save everybody. It's going to mitigate some things for people. But I still, I'm telling everybody, and I got a large group of folks that refuse to get the vaccine. And I tell them, I'm telling all of them continually is to do better by taking care of yourself. Stay out of the fried chicken line, drop a few pounds, drink some smoothies. Um, well, you know, I wouldn't say drink the smoothies because when you start looking at those labels, there's a lot of sugar in those smoothies. Oh, not you those. Don't I'm, need, talking about, yeah. I'm talking about, I, I got to blend them. And I, I kinda, okay, yeah, I, see, I see what you mean. You yeah. Know, get your vegetables in. Don't go to Smoothie King. Right. No, you, you, that's sugar in that, but you know, but do take care of yourself. Drop some weight. Dropping 10 to 15 pounds, I dropped 20. And I feel so much. I mean, I had a friend of mine. um, He and his friends, I was telling you about it before the show, about a year and a half ago when COVID first started. They said, you know what? We're getting off. We're all going to get our asses in shape. And so guess what Mm -hmm. those little fuckers did? They went, and they all joined CrossFit together. They all made a serious effort. They made a little team thing. And guess what? They all lost 30, 40, 50 pounds or so. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and that's that's what it takes. Yeah, you, it, only the strong is going to survive. And so I've resolved in my mind that, you know what, I'm going to do the best I can to be here five years from now. Well, and I can't I, guarantee it. And I'm, and I'm going to step out here, okay? Yeah. I'm going to get out here on a limb here, all right? Um, but our health care, it's not just health care, but our health in Mississippi is so bad. Yeah, this is a culture. I mean, we are... Heck, we don't even serve. I mean, I, I was in a meeting. I hate the other day. to say it, but Greta Bully has killed more with her with her restaurant than she did with a gun. And no, he is not shaking his head agreeing with me. He's looking at me like I can't believe he just said that. Okay, but my, we prize what we like: deep fried, smothered. But we don't even this. have iced tea anymore. You know what we serve in Mississippi? What we serve syrup with ice. Yeah. Go to, go to McAllister's. I mean, they right. get that. It, and now it ta- it's delicious. Same thing with Chick Fil A. How much sugar lemonade. is it? I don't touch it. You know, we have to really step back and say, hold on, man. Like today, I had to fight temptation in my own kitchen. I came back from working out. I left. My wife was in there cooking. And I said, what you cooking? She said, I'm making some Danishes. I come back from working out about an hour and a half later. And those Danishes are sitting there smelling all good. Oh, yeah. And I reached in the cabinet, made me a protein shake, and, and walked on out. Yeah, we have to really change how we operate. Everything revolves around eating. We, every time we meet, we want to eat. Every time we discuss something, we want to eat. You know, we have to change our culture. And coffee. Yeah. And Marshall Ramsey last year, he finally gave up co- coffee, and he just the withdrawals for like two weeks just about killed him. He said, "I didn't realize I was so addicted to it." You, but we also our culture now is we are so. so I hate to use the word snowflake, but we're so hypersensitive now about hurting someone's feelings, okay? And what drives us, if you look at, say, Department of Health, go to their website, about 80% of the deaths, if you look by underlying conditions, they're going to be obesity or fat-related. No, it's going to be obesity. Department of Health, it's could you be, post the death numbers by heart disease like you do COVID? Yeah. Can you post that? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. No, I don't know, but you can look at the COVID deaths that have underlying conditions. Yeah, but can you post 80, like the diabetes numbers every day? Yeah, but 80% are going to be obesity or mm-hmm. hypertension, heart disease, mm-hmm. diabetes, which most of those are, guess what, obesity related. Mm-hmm. You know, but we can't say that. And I think we missed an opportunity here in this state, and here's why. Because if you look at this, I have a Department of Health study from a couple of years ago. You know, we forty percent of our population is obese. Not mm-hmm. a few pounds over obese. Obese. 
and but you sit there and let me see how is how is I going to put it what the study said 50% the black black women were at the top of that list cuz like 50% of them were obese start let that sift in your head you know we had an opportunity with this covid here scaring the hell out of everybody saying look fuck all this we need to really get serious about the healthcare you know and I asked Dobbs one time last last year why aren't we going on some kind of public health campaign, public campaign to tell people, hey, look, you want to beat this thing, you want to save yourself, get your, you know, lose weight. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I remember you used to, you know, you'd see people coming out of China Bell over there on Lakeland Drive, and it was amazing how many just morbidly fat people were just coming out of there. And they had, and you could eat clean there if you wanted to. Just, they they had grilled chicken and stuff, stuff, stuff like that, but they also had the deep fried with the syrup and everything. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. fried rice and all that. And we're afraid to hurt someone's feelings, you know, but we missed because they were talking about, oh, and the Clarence Ledger would do this. You know, look at the number of black people. This thing is disproportionately affecting it. Well, first of all, the writers rarely ever had statistics because guess what? It all worked out. You know what happened? It's called the law of averages. I don't know if you ever had stats or not, but have you? Okay. Basically, everything, if you, the shorter the, the period for a statistic it's not gonna. It's not going to resemble that much its historical norm. The longer you look at the stat, it's going to more accurately reflect the norm. And that's what happened here. Was eventually, yeah, we had some spikes at first. Like we also had a spike in nursing home patients one time. Eventually, we got to where guess what? Thirty-eight, thirty-seven percent of the cases. Guess what? They're black. Thirty-eight, thirty. You know, high thirties of the deaths. They're black. I mean, we came down from sixty percent at first down to here. Okay. Where we where we are now, and that's about where the population is. Look at, excuse me, look at the vaccinations. Thirty-seven or so percent of vaccinated are black. That's I mean, that's what the numbers are. Good time. But like the Clarion Ledger does a story, and they show first of all, it's all about oh the racist impacts of, you know, COVID. And this is like May, June, July or so of last year, and you look at the person they have on their cut on the, in the picture of the person. She's black, but guess what else she is? She's fat. Real fat. I mean, and you look at her, it's like, I'm looking at her thinking. We got got obesity across the board. Black, white. But here's another thing, too, though. Even even our Chinese are fat in Mississippi. Yeah. But also, 76%, there's studies out here on this, 76% of blacks are also vitamin D deficient. Almost that. Like twice. Why is that a big deal? Because that's what boosts your immune system. Mm -hmm. You know, since this all started, I've been taking vitamin D, mm-hmm. zinc, and no, I'm not taking C pills. I'm actually going and buying oranges and just eating an orange every day is what mm-hmm. to get my C. Not drinking out orange juice. I'm actually eating, all. you know, I just think the natural C in the orange is better for you oh, than just definitely. a pill, you know? Yeah, I do it all, man. Exactly. I, I do it all. But, you know, in Dobbs, I've asked them, why don't you tell us this stuff? Why don't you tell us how, I mean, Rogan caught hell last week. But Rogan was also, he'd been... Nutrition-wise, he was there. I mean, he was doing what he was supposed to do. But I'm going to read you something here. This is this is the culture we live in today, okay? Mm-hmm. If you go to the CDC stats, nearly 80% of the deaths are underlying obesity, okay? Mm-hmm. There's this company called Sweet Green, CEO. He put up a post on LinkedIn. It says, 78% of hospitalizations due to COVID are obese and overweight people. He wrote Tuesday, citing March data from the CDC. Is there an underlying problem that perhaps we have not given enough attention to? Is there another way to think about how we tackle health care by addressing the root cause? 
He went on to highlight COVID as an endemic virus that's going to be here for the foreseeable future, which is true. Mm-hmm. We can't run away from it, and no vaccine or mask will save us. And he said, I'm vaccinated, and I support vaccines. Our best bet is to learn how to best live with it and focus on overall health versus preventing infection. Now, apparently his company, they, they make, they're, they're a big seller of salads, okay, salad mm-hmm. producers. And he said, we need to crack down on junk food. What if we focused on the root cause? And use this pandemic as a catalyst for creating a healthier future. What if we made the food that is making us sick illegal? I'm going a little bit far for me. Sorry, I do like my Milky Milky Way once hey, a year. It reminds me of that ordinance I put I wrote a couple years ago. And I gave you oh. hell for that too. But check this out. Without even passing the ordinance, they changed the daggum menus at the fast food places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but that's what he said. He caught hell. One person said, This post is disgusting. I mean, now we have to run him out of business. We can't have this out there. I mean, one, then they started calling him fat phobic. You know, oh, my gosh. Here came the Twitter <laughs> mob. All he is doing, yeah, is following the fucking damn, you know, CDC stats showing if you're fat. And, yes, I know I need to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Believe me, when I leave here, I'm going by the gym. Cancel culture, boy. Cancel I mean, but you hell. can't. We are so, I mean, look. Just like racism in the extreme can kill, but you know what? Anti-bigotry, anything in the extreme can be harmful. Anything. Mm-hmm. You know? Have you considered how our healthcare system systematically underserves people who are considered to be in those groups? Yeah, how about we talk about how they can get all kinds of sugar crap on food stamps? I mean, you know, instead of getting water. I don't know. They're not educated well, all that stuff. I get it. But the thing is, we're missing some major opportunities when we have everybody's attention and they're mm-hmm. scared shitless of dying from this crap. Don't eat apple turnovers. I do those on Saturdays <laughs> every now and then. One day. I but cheat. you're right. There needs to be. Um, that's why I'm, I want to lose this weight. So then when I come out and start camp- championing that we all lose weight, I've already done it. You I mean, know? you know, so that's why. Because even even from the top down, I mean, every leader. Can't afford to lose 10 pounds. Even week. Vice News made fun of the poor guy. Even Vice News made fun of him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm saying. This guy's just saying, others are saying, well, you sell salad. You're just trying to get rich off of this. No, he's actually trying to put out information that's trying to save people's lives. Here's mm-hmm. the real truth. And nobody wants to hear it. We want to have okay. our cake literally and eat it too. And if we can get a pill to fix it, please give me that pill. Give me that shot. But this disease loves you if you are fat. You got to lose weight. Got to. Huh? Got everybody has to lose weight. I mean, but you don't see that message. Right. You're right. That's why I wanted to lose this. I'm, when I get down to 205, then I'll come out and start championing everybody lose 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. And so that's my goal. I got about four more pounds to go, and I'm um, gonna get down to 205, and almost and everybody from the governor on down, everybody needs to drop 10 pounds. At least. Do you think uh, I needed to drop? Do you points. think the state will take a more proactive role in maybe promoting this kind of well, that's stuff? That's something we can talk. We can get mm-hmm. both sides of the spectrum to talk about because we've been we can we've been sucked into the civilian conversation. Backs, mm-hmm. no backs. You know, the government should just provide every resource possible so that people can be more resilient mm-hmm. and lift ourselves out of these lower level. Now you're vaccinated, if I remember right, aren't you? I got my card. Yeah, I, I thought you had. Yeah, I got my car. Going to get, uh, get the booster, or are you just going to wait and see? Uh, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'll probably get the booster. 
But I was I got mine back in January and February, and uh, you know I, I've always taken this thing seriously. Oh yeah, I, I, you know I got too many I got too many close friends who have passed on who yeah. didn't take it serious. Yeah, you know so for me um, it's beyond vaccination because mm-hmm. you can still get sick. I don't want to get sick. No, you know so um, that's why I say everybody needs to drop 10 to 15, 20 pounds. Everybody across the board. Mm-hmm. And a couple of folks who joined me on this journey, uh, Representative Chris Bell, I think he dropped 20 pounds. Um, Charles from out of Meridian, he didn't drop 60 pounds. Wow. You know, so. Feels a lot better, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, it looks better. You know, so I just think that I know that if more leaders get on this bandwagon, we can unify people. Well, I mean, you look, you look at Delbert. Mm-hmm. Delbert's in his mid seventies. Mm-hmm. He's a runner, always has been. He gets the COVID, and he's basically, you know, light flu, bad cold for a few days. That's it. And guns an occasion. But you know, he, and, he, he's he's part of that old that old metal. They don't make, they don't make you know. Yeah. I don't know about that. He's always taking care of himself though. Okay, I mean yeah, he, yeah. he's he's still an active runner. Yeah. And then you have an we won't say names, but we had had another guy in the legislature, and he is very overweight and he took his precautions he was masking and wearing a screen and stuff sometimes and he got he got it wound up in the icu i mean you just look at the guy he's the poster child for getting this stuff you know yeah we, we and, just, and we you look at this and better. you look at the stats well if it's not if it's not covid it will be or is heart disease yeah diabetes yeah. so even beyond covid we have to be as leaders, project mm-hmm. a better maintenance of ourselves. Oh, you ought to read the um, Wall Street Journal this past weekend. They had an interview with the new mayor of, newly elected mayor of New York, mm-hmm. and he was talking about he had type two bad. I mean, they were talking. He was getting pain in his nerve pain in his arms and legs. He was. They were talking about him going blind in the three or four weeks. I mean, he was bad. Mm-hmm. And he said, "I could either, you know, take the pills, try to fight with the pills, or." He actually went extreme. He went to a plant-based diet, mm-hmm. lost a lot of weight. He actually says he got reversed the diabetes, got off of it. His body is now in the best shape it's ever been. Mm-hmm. He says, because I went this route. Look at Mary Jean McGee. Yeah, and he's always been a cyclist. Yeah. You know, but, um, again, everybody needs to take health seriously mm-hmm. and, and not get bogged down with these these low-level fights about Vax, no vax, COVID. Well, but people challenges. people are scared there because you know you look you look at Twitter this past weekend, and college football came back. Thank goodness, and you see people on Twitter saying, "Look at all these people, these football games. I hope they all die from COVID. We don't need to give them health care or anything." I mean, I'm glad I don't live by fuck Twitter. Fuck them, really. <laughs> I'm glad I don't live. Oh and but goodness. then you got the other side. They but you know the one side sees that, and it's people are scared on both sides here. Okay, they really are. Yeah. And then they look down at, say, Australia, New Zealand, where they're like, you know, beating people. The police are just attacking people. They catch them out in public and hauling them in. You know, I mean, they're sitting there. If you travel overseas, come in. You're going to this special camp for about a month before you let back in. You know, you're not allowed to even play on your grass. I mean, it's gotten really strict down there. And like, and they see that going, we don't need that here. But then you, then they'll see people here saying, we got a mask, we got a lockdown. And I mean. You got one side that's scared of the disease itself, and then, and I think sometimes irrationally, you got one side irrationally scared, scared <laughs> and you got another side that's scared of them going too far with the lockdowns and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and all these restrictive measures, which don't, let's be honest, they don't work. 
I mean, you look at the states around here right now, and I mean, the states you've had that have been pretty tough, like Oregon, Hawaii, guess what? They're not, whoa, their numbers are getting worse. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, so I just think, like I said, a lot of people, I mean, there's just a lot of fear here. When you're, when you're scared, you don't think. I mean, I put, up a, I put up a post yesterday. I don't know if you saw it or not. I'm not tooting on horn here, just saying. Massachusetts is number three in the country in vaccinations. Mm-hmm. 68% of their population is vac- vaccinated. 75 or 75% has had at least one shot. 99% of their elder, elderly are vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable number. And they are running like hospitalizations are like a third of what they are, like 600 here uh, up there. Their vents are like maybe, a, I don't think not even 100 people on vents, maybe 100 and some change on ICUs. What's your population? 7 million. Oh, tw- three, th- 2.3 times what it is, two and a third times what it is here, okay? Meanwhile, we're 39% vaccinated. We got 15 counties less than 30. They're in the 20s on vaccinations, in mm-hmm. the 20s. And we're sitting here, 3 million people compared to seven, and we have triple the number of hospitalizations and like two and a half to three times on everything else. And. You know, but you tell this to people. The message and, needs to be uh, there's a disproportionate impact on overweight people. Yeah. Like that's need to be it needs to be drilled in. There's I mean, we're our own worst enemy here. Impact on overweight people. I mean, I put up there one time. If you want to die from COVID, be overweight. This guy, he's a he's a respected pathologist in Iowa. I mean, he's a researcher. He knows his stuff. Mm-hmm. And I put up what he had to say. He explained how the meth, the mRNA vaccines work and why it's not gene therapy and all that crap, you know. And people just don't want to believe it. Or they'll take some obscure scientist over here. Now, I'm not against ivermectin or any of that stuff. That's mm-hmm. between you and your doctor. If your doctor right. thinks ivermectin, which is an <laughs> antiviral, by the way. Right. Not this horse pace crap. It's, it's an antiviral. If he thinks it'll help you, wants to prescribe it, I think you should be able to get that between you and, and your, your doctor. doctor. Right. Exactly. Right. You know, it's like back in the 70s. You know, steroids used to be legal. And back when Arnold did it, you know, you well, could you actually, know, it, your doctor would actually monitor you to sit there and make sure you had no adverse side effects. If you're Same doctor, thing. You know, maybe it's, the, it's this, what's he got me drinking? Blanton's. 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 You know, some decisions are between you and your doctor. But right. We need to all broadcast that, <laughs> you know, there's a disproportionate impact on, on fat people. Mm-hmm. So lose some weight. Exactly. That needs to be the, the standard message. Exactly. That's why I lost 20 pounds of fat. I mean, I'm trying to, believe I'm gonna, me. I'm gonna I need some to. more. And if someone's going to say, yo, King, how about you? No, no, no shit, Sherlock. I know that. We're working it. And working. you know what? You know, when you jump on me about that, I'm not going to argue that because that's what pushes me. That's going to push me a little bit, you know? I've been retired 11 years now. It took me 11 years to gain this fat. Yeah. (laughs) And you want to do it less less than 11 months. Right. I'm working working (laughs) on this fat. I'm working on this fat. I was doing good when I got out at 205, 210. Uh Now I'm back to my weight. weight, And now I got to get rid of some more fat. Yeah. So. so I'm going to get my fat ass out here and keep walking, too. All right. We're going to wrap it up. And I just want to say <laughs> thanks for thanks for coming on. This is the very Anytime. first one. It was very interesting. And uh, like I said, looking forward to doing this again. And we're going to get you on camera next time. No, we're not. Yeah. This is my show. Yeah. But you forget this is my show. It goes on my site. So yeah, we're going to get you on camera. <laughs> you can try. <laughs> you can try. You can try. Anyway, thanks very much for coming on. I appreciate being the, the first guest here. All right. Thank you very much, folks. And we'll see you next week.
You've been listening to the Jambalaya with the Kingfish. Tune in next week for a new episode.